You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So it's, uh, it's easy to see like how many seats open up when the kids go do their things. But I want to go ahead and say this now, because as we come out of COVID, considering all the growth that we've had as a church, you need to go ahead and know we don't fit this building, right? Um, like if all the adults showed up at the same Sunday, we would be top to bottom, right to left in both gatherings without kids. But here's the other part of this, and this is the commitment that we have as a church. So this is a commitment we made for a long, long time ago. Um, we will not, we will continue to start with the kids, so, like, even though seating is hard when the students are in here, it's important as a church family that we begin the gathering as a family. A lot of times we start thinking, oh, we're getting full and it's getting tight and it's hard to find a seat because I come late. Two things, come earlier. <laughs> then everybody has a hard time finding a seat together. Um, but the other thing is, we're not like the kids aren't the leftovers, right? They're not like the side, Jesus, the side dish of Jesus' life. So we're not going to be like, yo, we got to make room for the adults. So the kid's going to start somewhere else. So just know that we're committed to the kids staying in here with us. Does that make sense? So we're going to have to figure this out. And frankly, the Lord will provide all the things, not worried about that at all. But in all sincerity, it'll be a little discomfort, mild discomfort. I will say this, as one who used to complain about that myself, all you have to do is go worship with brothers and sisters in Kenya or Tegucigalpa and Honduras and other places, outdoors, in the sun, bearing down underneath the shade of a tree, and you will stop complaining about the facility in a minute. I mean, honestly, truly. And y'all, they go to church, like our Kenyan brothers and sisters go to church for like two and a half hours. So the hour and a half we do is piddlywink compared to what they piddlywink. That is a formal word in the Southern English Dictionary uh, that my grandmother taught me. Um, but it's like, yeah, that's just not something, that's not something that, 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 you know, will phase you as much when you spend time with them. But I just didn't want you thinking that, okay, the answer then when you look around is that the students start together. No, the students are here to uh, participate in all the confessions and liturgies. I mean, who more do we want to have in their hearts? What more do we want to have in their hearts than things like, I am God's chosen beloved? Or like, we are God's, you know, chosen, you want that in their hearts, right? So... We need them to say that. Love one another for God's sake. That's an us thing, right? The other thing is, is when they hear an adult say it, they get to hold adults accountable to it. Am I wrong? Like, if so if, if we don't have them in here and confessing these things with us, then, then they can't hold us accountable to the confession that they haven't heard. So they get to hold us accountable to the confession that we heard. And hopefully their presence will make us want to be held accountable anyway because we, you know, follow Jesus and stuff. So that just makes sense. I just wanted to say that as a bit of a commercial, that the students are not negotiable for comfort. Um, now, they may sit on the floor at some point, but that's because they have able bodies, and so will the rest of us. Some of us will sit there and then not give up, or not get up, actually, because we will give up, and just lay there and like, we'll hand out towels, just like we used to do in kindergarten, right? Towels and pillows for all the adults. So uh, we, uh, your QR code here, if you want the notes, we have a load of Proverbs and some prophets and some Torah, some Hebrew scripture stuff today. Uh, none of it's going to be on the screen. So if you want to keep up with it, you're going to have to scan the QR code. It's going to get you to the landing page where all the notes are, including the full manuscript of John Wesley's sermon that I'm going to quote today. And if you have the app, all you've got to do is open your app, and that's the first thing that should come up. If you don't have the app, scan it. That'll still come up for you. But if you want the scriptures, please be sure to scan that. If you also want the scriptures, I'll try and go somewhat slow so you can write them down. But we began this series on, called Grasping, Gripping, and Giving. And it's a series on money, possessions, and power. And we, realize, we recognize from the jump that this conversation is real sketchy when people like me, preachers, pastors, want to talk about stewardship and money, particularly at the beginning of the year, which is just how it happened to fall. I think I have preached two series, series is a word, Kelly, series is, is that right? No? Two series um, in 13 years on giving. So like that, that's just not something we've talked about a lot for a couple of reasons, one of which, preaching a, seri a series on generosity to people who have received the generosity of God's grace and liberation, um, I know we all need to be reminded for sure, but 
that should become so much a part of our way of life that series do nothing else than just maybe remind us from time to time or give us different ways of thinking. And um, so it's not that I don't value it. It's just when you call people to a love of neighbor, the way we talk about loving neighbor, which is, I hope, the way Jesus talked about loving of neighbor, generosity is mentioned more times than we can count. If I did a word search in my manuscripts of conversations and teachings, how many times generosity is mentioned? It's, 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 a, it's a hundreds. So we haven't always had to, had to have a series, but, but we felt like with the capital campaign, we felt like with the narrative going on in, in our nation, we felt like with um, just things like inflation and potential recession and all these different things, uh, it was just wise to reframe this idea of what it means to live a life that's grasping and gripping and giving and how money, possessions, and power play a role in that. One of the things we mentioned is how the Bible has financial instruction. 2,350 times minimum, the Bible speaks to money and possessions. That's twice as much as faith and prayer combined. Or not twice as much, that's time, several times more than faith and prayer combined. And it makes sense because God is the creator of all things, including matter, materiality, and God's very concerned with what we do with stuff. Uh, and God is the one who created stuff. And the stuff that God creates was meant to be used to tell a story. Does that make sense? That where we turn our stuff into a story that is a life-giving story for ourselves and our neighbors and others. And that the, the, the money that we have is to develop a kind of meaning in our lives because it always does have meaning. And so we have to take charge of what the meaning is because money has meaning, period. And it either becomes the means to the end or the end of the means. Does that make sense to you? I know I'm doing a lot of turns and phrases, but, but it either becomes a means to an end or it becomes the end of all our means. And we have to be mindful of that the sign in our lives that money is becoming the end of our means and has taken too much meaning in our lives is when we are grasping and gripping. When we're grasping, meaning that we're reaching for more because nothing satisfies and we, we, crap, we want more, we need more, and we're concerned. We're driven by fears of scarcity. Everybody say scarcity. We're driven by the fears of not enough. There's not enough food to go around, not enough oil, not enough toilet paper, not enough milk, not enough time. We, we live in a society of scarcity where we never have enough. And the irony is we always have enough, we just invest it differently. And so we grasp. And when we grasp, and we grasp with the heart of scarcity, we end up gripping what it is we finally were able to grasp. And so we grip and we hold and we hoard. And we, want and we hold for the rainy day and the other rainy day and every rainy day. And even if we live in a drought, we still hold for a rainy day. You with me? Because we always expect a rainy day. Never for remembering at times that God causes the rain to fall to bear new fruit and to make things green again. I could play that metaphor out, right? And so we grip. And anytime we grasp and grip, it's really hard for us to give. It's really hard for us to live a life of generosity. It's easy for us to forget that God never asked us to be owners. God asked us to be trustees. God entrusted creation. God entrusted our bodies to us. God entrusted the bodies of our neighbors. God entrusted our children for those of us who have grands and others. God entrusted all of these things to us. So we started off with Deuteronomy 8. Now, if you pulled this up, you'll see all the notes that are up there. Um, we started off in Deuteronomy 8 where the Lord says, you may say by your might and by your strength you accomplish these things, but don't you forget that I'm the one who gave you the might and strength to accomplish these things as well as the things to accomplish. Remember me, I am the Lord. You were a slave in Egypt once. It's basically the Lord saying, you may think you own something, but you ain't got jack. I gave you it all. I gave all of it to you. I gave you even the means by which you can attain these things. I mean, it gets as simple that even when... Um, even when I was coaching basketball at WCA, one of the things I would always say to the kids before a game, I would say, you know what you get to do tonight? And they would say it, it was a liturgy. We get to play basketball. And I would just wanted them to see that this is a gift of grace. And I would remind them, you have bodies to play, a gym to play in, and a place to play. Like I wanted them to never forget, no matter how bad the game went or how bad we were in the game, that they recognized that this was still a gift of grace because all is grace. Everybody say it. All is grace. Everything is grace. Everything is a gift of God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves or God sustaining for us what we cannot sustain for ourselves. We are saved by grace, stand in grace, live in grace, die in grace, and are raised in grace. 
It is all a gift of grace. And so when we recognize that all is grace, that we are just trustees and stewards, not owners, then we get to give not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but we give out of gratefulness because we recognize that all we have is what? Is grace. Sure, I worked hard. Sure, you worked hard. We, we did the work. But the whole ability to do the work, the work itself, the ground upon which we work, the creation of syntax and language that makes the work work. Gift of grace. It's all grace. And sadly, that is so obvious that we forget. So what I wanted to do is, over the last several weeks, we have, got, we have um, done a little bit of a deep dive into the Hebrew narrative of Yahweh's economy, of God's economy. And now what I want to do is get down to the practical of things. And so we're going to take a little more time than normal. I'm going to probably go as long as like Garrett would go. He holds the record for longest message. I just want to be clear for me and Jason's purposes. Um, that that is all Garrett owns that record. And since he's not here, I can say it. Um, but I, w- I want to make sure that we get into the weeds of this today. So John Wesley, uh, raise your hand if you ever heard of John Wesley, the Methodist guy. Okay, he's kind of like the godfather of the Methodist church. He didn't try to start a church, um, but, but, but it, it happened, right? He was, a, he was a preacher, a prophet. He was a theologian. He was a social critic. He was also an abolitionist. So it's important to understand he saw the world. You know, people always say about enslavers, well, they're just people of their time. Well, so were abolitionists. <laughs> like, like, we don't get to play that argument out too far. John Wesley was an abolitionist in the 18th century and was a preacher and prophet and social critic and theologian and tried to live his own message. He was an imperfect man, for sure, um, but he lived a generous life. And in a sermon he preached called The Use of Money, he offered, three ma- he offered three basic points. I discovered these points many, 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 many years ago, and they genuinely have guided me and my own home in an unstated way. I don't know if Allison would recall me ever saying them, um, but, but I've always held to them. Um, which is probably why I, I live kind of what people see as a high-end life. But some of you think that I'm always, like, tired. And I'm tired for different reasons, mostly because of my pandemic weight that I carry, um, but not so much because of the work ethic. Uh, I'm just, I, I've, I heard this years ago, and it sat with me in such a beautiful way, but it's a bit provocative, so I need to unpack it. So in his sermon called The Use of Money, he gave three basic points. You ready? He said, earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. That was it. It's a pretty short sermon too, actually. Earn all you can. Say it. Save all you can. And give all you can. The key word there is all you can. A lot of times in churches, there is this like whipping post uh, of, of, of like, like trying to guilt people into a percentage Look, I am pro-tithing. The Bible has spoken to tithing, but that is, technically speaking, law of Moses stuff. Paul in Corinthians says, give as a cheerful giver from your hearts. Not negating the promises of God, okay? I'm not taking away from what God said about it. I'm saying that's not law to be lambasted over people. Yahweh, as, as Jesus, is trying to get at the heart of things for us. And Wesley knew it. Wesley could have just said, earn all you can, save wisely, and give 10% to the Lord and do almsgiving. But he said the all you can part, and I think that's significant. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. To be clear, though, to be really clear, Wesley taught this and lived this in light of Paul's teaching in Galatians. If you want to write it down, Galatians chapter 4, 13 to 14. Listen to what it says, though. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses. See that? But serve each other through love. You want to know what pushes back against selfish impulses? Serving others. Because Christianity is not a faith of convenience, right? It's really inconvenient to serve people. We're honest. Then it says this, verse 14, this is key. All the law, everybody say all. Okay, so all, all the law has been fulfilled, lived out, summed up, experienced in one single statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Wesley would teach, earn all you can in light of neighborly love. Which would mean, don't earn in such a way that oppresses and exploits workers. 
Don't earn in such a way that causes harm to other people. Don't earn in such a way that it causes harm to yourself. You with me? That's that's literally what he talked about. And frankly, it just makes a lot of sense. If you're going to earn all you can, you have to do so with neighborly love because Wesley knew something that many pastors and preachers failed to make connections to that I didn't make connections to for years. That when we talk about stewardship in churches and money, we cannot talk about money rightly if we don't remember that it's always, always, always tethered to, attached to love of neighbor. Neighborly love and concern is always the issue of everything we own. What does Jesus say? If you have two coats and somebody needs one, what? Give them one, right? If somebody asks you for money, lend without expectation of return. Luke chapter 6. That'll mess with us, won't it? I'm even borrowing some money from some of y'all at the end of this. <laughs> like, like that, like that's what he teaches. That's not, not a surprise that all of these resources of abundance are for the good of our neighbor, which becomes our good, because at the end of the day, money's not about me, it just involves me. My possessions are not about me, they just involve me. Does that make sense? That's the biblical view. I don't like that language, biblical view. People use that phrase as a passive, like, way of saying your view isn't biblical. How's it better? That's a, that's a view that I believe is consistent with what I see in Scripture. Is that money and possessions is not about me, but involves me. And so, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things, right? That's what Jesus said. Love God, love your neighbor. Paul would come up and say, yeah, man, everything's fulfilled. You want to not covet? Listen, this is because he said the law, so he means the ten. Primarily the ten. You want to not covet and not steal? Then love your neighbors yourself, right? Like, that's logical. Because I wouldn't want somebody stealing from me and coveting what I have. So it's, it, it, it's, it stands to reason. Uh, Wesley said this. He said things like this. Do all the good you can. By all means you can. In all ways you can. In all the places you can. At all the times you can. To all the people you can. As long as ever you can. And so he understood that we cannot fail to connect our neighbor's well-being to this idea of love. We can't. And we cannot fail to connect our neighbor's well-being to this idea of money and possessions. And so it's like Romans 13, verse 8 through 10 says, if you want to write this down, don't be in debt to anyone. Now, we're going to talk about lending, borrowing, saving. We're going to talk about that over the next three weeks or so for sure and the dangers of all of that. But he says, Paul says, right there sandwiched in between Romans 12 where it talks about vengeance is mine, says the Lord, extend hospitality, love your enemy, give them something to eat, give them something to drink if your enemy's hungry and thirsty, and then segues out of that into this idea of the, the government being a preservationist institution in the world. Governments are never redemptive, preservationist, and that's what he talks about there. And then at the end of that text, he says, and don't be in debt with anyone. So there's, there's some political ramifications to the narrative of Romans 13 and 12 that you need to tend to. To, to get the full thrust of why he's choosing debt language and obligation language, economy language all of a sudden. So he says, don't be in debt to anyone. Context matters, right? Don't be debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. So make sure you write your creditors and you tell them you're a Christian and that you can't pay them back, but you love them. <laughs> that is why stewardship of your money. <laughs> that, that will not work. I've tried it. The IRS is not hearing it. They're like, thank you for that. Don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. You see the flip, though? Paul is doing a, he's doing a subversion in a capitalistic economy, in an economy that commodifies bodies, which that commodity was, as does ours, right? I mean, think about it. You, you sell your time to somebody, right? That's what we do. That's what jobs are. I'll do this for you during this period of time for this money. We're selling our time, literally. We're all business people. Every one of you, even if you don't own a business, you own your own self and your own body that God has called you to steward. You don't own that either, and you're selling your time, right? And so he says, don't be in debt to anyone except for the obligation to love each other. And then he says this, whoever loves another person has fulfilled the law. The commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, 
So you don't murder, you don't commit adultery with people like, see how it goes? Don't steal, don't desire what others have. And any other commandments are all summed up in one word, he said, verse 9. You must love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, and this is why we pray the prayers we do against white supremacist, white nationalist ideology, because any of these other, any of these ideologies in the world that say passively or assertively that there are inferior people to me is contrary to the teaching of the Christian understanding of love. It just is. Even when it's done in the name of Christianity. Because of what this verse says, look at it. It says, love doesn't do anything wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is what fulfills the law. Love is always welcoming and hospitable. Love always makes room for the other, especially the other who doesn't have a place. Love for you is supposed to make me think twice about how I go about earning my money and then what I do with it. It isn't that God is so concerned with the end as much as God is concerned with the means. The end does not justify the means in Christian faith. If that were the case, God would have found a different way to save us from the reign of sin and death that didn't require 33 and a half plus years of walking this earth and going and dying a state execution, violent, cross on, violent death on a cross, right? The means of that mattered. Because our problem wasn't that we were bad people who needed to go to heaven when we die. Our problem was that we did not remember what it meant to live as people loved by God who loved God. And so Jesus had to show us what it means to actually be the kind of humans God wants us to be. Which then included death on a cross. See what I'm saying? The death doesn't matter if there's no life. And the death doesn't matter if there's no resurrection. You need all of it. But my point is it was all about the means. That's why Christianity is not a transaction. God wasn't saving you from God's own self. God was saving us from our own selves. And on the love of cross, on the love on the cross, the love of God is magnified. And the means mattered. And so, love of neighbor in context of earn all you can changes how we go about earning. Then I don't participate in ways of earning that exploits or oppresses others. Or I find redemptive ways to subvert that system. Or I enter into that system and make sure that I'm not one who's going to do that. Does that make sense? People are not to be placed underneath prophets. We've talked about that. And so Wesley said in 1744, when I die, if I leave behind me 10 pounds, and by pounds he meant money, you and all mankind can bear witness against me that I've lived and died a thief and a robber. You know what he means? Well, in 1791, when Wesley died, he had given away everything he owned. The only thing he had in terms of money and possessions was the clothes on his body and the change that was in his pockets. He lived the message he preached. He lived the sermon he preached. We should learn to live the sermons we want to hear. And that learning to live requires grace. And the good news is, what did Peter say? We talked about it six weeks ago. God has given us everything we need for the life and godliness. We have it then. And so, I want to talk about this earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Now, though this idea, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can, is going to be the, the big idea of the rest of the series. We're going to skip the series for Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, um, but then we're going to climb, climb right back into the series. So we're going to keep plowing on, and after Resurrection Sunday, we're going to keep going with the series. But this idea of earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can is going to guide us. But it's going to guide us within four signposts. Everybody say four signposts. I know I do that to you, but I want to make sure you're awake, and plus I want to stay in your head. We need to make sure we keep four signposts in view as we are guided along the journey of, 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 of stewardship, of money and power and possessions. The four signposts are this. They're in your notes. But the fourth signpost are this. First signpost, we have to keep in mind that of Yahweh's desire for an economy that promotes neighborly love. If we forget that Yahweh has always wanted an economy that promotes neighborly love, we will get the earning twisted. 
So we have to have that as a signpost, number one. Signpost number two, we need to remember the impact of the gospel of God's kingdom and what it's had on us as a people saved by grace who are sustained by grace. That's how we keep from working ourselves into some sort of works-based righteousness or keep being motivated from guilt is that all is grace. So we need to keep grace in mind. That's number two. Signpost number three, we need to see how the church and society has historically used money, possessions, and power in wrong ways. Now, why is that important for us? Come on. So we don't repeat it. Because most of the if it's done in the name of the church, that means our spiritual mothers and fathers committed crimes against humanity that we could be still benefiting from. Are you with me? So we have to examine that. Well, then it makes sense that the fourth signpost would be we have to figure out how to make that right as people who have been entrusted these things. Does that make sense? Remember, the prophets always asked God's favor and hope and restoration on behalf of the mothers and fathers of their faith who got them there. And they almost always included the pronoun of we, not they. Are you familiar with that? If you're not, look it up. But the, pro- the, the, prophets, don't throw, the prophets don't stand up before God and say, they did that, not me. Yo, like, like I didn't do all that. They recognized that they inherited a whole set of circumstances that usually equated to money, power, and possessions and benefited from it. And so they had to speak to it. And then they had to be a part of what God was doing to write it. And so that'll be the fourth thing we look at. So we'll frame the individual aspect of this conversation in the earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can, but guided by these signposts. So let's talk about this earn all you can. Here's what I want to say that, that maybe that I've been told by some of you is a bit of a surprise, and not just one of you, but several of you, when I've said things like prosperity is good um, and, 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 and money is good. It's not the money that's the root of evil. It's the what? It's the love of money that's the root of evil. Um, and so these things are given to us as God as gifts to enjoy, to be enjoyed. But to be enjoyed in light of what command? To love what? Your neighbor as you love yourself, right? So here's what I want to say. Work and entrepreneurship is good. It's godly. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given a job with God to steward and work the world, right? Like So participating in the things of God in terms of things to do with our lives and our talents and our creative abilities and all, that is good. Entrepreneurship is good. Making things, creating things transacting things that's good especially when it's virtuous and frankly only when it's virtuous which for the Christ followers should not be a surprise so work and entrepreneurship is good and virtuous when the end is always the concern of neighborly well-being It's not work that Yahweh has a problem with. It's laziness. It's an, it's an unwillingness to work. I don't really like the term lazy because in the work that I have done for 22 years with neighbors living through social displacement, that's always, always an accusation that is so, just isn't true. Um, many, many, many more times than not. It's, the inab- it's, the, it's, the inab- it's not the inability to work. It's the lack of desire and, and willingness to even work that Yahweh has a genuine problem with. Look at Proverbs 19.15. I'm sorry, Proverbs 18, 9 first. The one who is lazy in his work is a, brother, is a brother to a master of waste. Or the message puts it this way in Proverbs 18, 9. Slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. Because work itself is a stewardship of talents and gifts and abilities, right? Is that is it right? You're, are you following me? So you have innate gifts and, abalance, uh, and abilities and talents and, and things to contribute in the world. God doesn't make, you know, statues. God makes life-giving people who give life. Um... And so you have something to add to the world, and that's what Yahweh, I think, is trying to get at. We have something to contribute to this world. So it goes on to say, laziness induces deep sleep, and a lazy person will go hungry. Proverbs 19.15. Proverbs 10.4. Idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Yahweh has a problem with our misunderstanding the beauty of who we are 
and the strength of what we can do to put our hands to work. And by work, I don't always mean earning all we can all the time. Work is in like contributing to the good of the world and neighborly love, which can be earning. But for those of us who are retired, like you're not now just supposed to sit and go fishing and show God when you die, you know, your mounted fish. Like contributing to the ongoing beauty of the creation and of the world and the ministry of the kingdom of God is still your call. Because that's work. And we'll talk more about that later. But I just want to be clear one more time that Wesley wasn't talking about this aggressive pursuit of affluence and accumulating more stuff. He always prefaced it, and even in the sermon, but I think the scriptures very clearly preface it, that earning all you can must be done in light of an economy that commodifies bodies. Because what was Israel's body commodified to do in Egypt? To make bricks for Pharaoh. They were enslaved by Pharaoh to make bricks. It was a slave labor economy. And they made bricks for what? For Pharaoh's what? His buildings, which were storehouses. To store Pharaoh's what? Grain, which would build Pharaoh's what? Economy to be an inalterable, uh, to be an like irreplaceable economy. So the Israelites had 400 years of generations of slave labor economy where their bodies were commodified for the good of the empire. So when Yahweh rescues them from Exodus, in the Exodus, and rescues them from that enslavement, Yahweh says, I know that's the only economy y'all know. I need you to learn a different one. I need you to learn a different economy that's always going to keep in mind the good of your neighbor. And so earn all you can. Because here's the thing, if we don't earn it in accordance to Yahweh's law, in accordance to the way of Jesus or the law of love, as James, the perfect law of liberty that James calls it in his book in the Christian scriptures, which is love, then we're going to find ourselves in, in, in trouble. Because Galatians 6 also says, if you sow of the flesh, you what? You reap of the flesh. If you sow of the spirit, though, you what? Reap of the spirit. It's almost like Yahweh saying there is a divine kind of karma at work. There is a divine cause and effect in God's economy. And so, stay with me. We're going to pummel on some scriptures because I want to establish this because I've had pushback, not from our church, of course, thankfully, but I've heard people say before that the Bible doesn't speak to business in the same way that we talk about it. And that's just obviously patently untrue and you're going to see in a minute. Deuteronomy 25, verse 13 through 16. Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16. Don't have two different types of money weights in your bag, a heavy one and a light one. Do not have differing dry measures in your house, a larger and a smaller. Instead, you must have only one weight, complete and correct, complete and correct dry measure, so that your life may be long in the fertile land the Lord your God has given you. What's more, all who do such things, all who do business dishonorably, are detestable to the Lord your God. So in an agrarian society where the economy was built on agriculture, weights and measures were the tools by which businesses operated. And what Yahweh is saying, you can't jack around with that. You can't give the lower, you've got to have one weight that is complete and accurate, that is fair and equitable. Everybody say equitable. Seems like we have a problem with that word in our society. That is not only, that is equitable for everybody. That was Yahweh's idea. Leviticus 19.26, you, you are to have honest balances, honest weights, and an honest dry measure, and an honest liquid measure. And then listen to how it says. That's, you would think that's enough. And here's what Yahweh says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see that? Why do you think Yahweh, this is a discussion part, sorry uh, Vimeo folk, but why do you think Yahweh is saying, I'm the Lord your God, do fair business, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. What do you think Yahweh wants them to make a connection to? Y'all better get it before Jason does. Do business the way I do business, and how did I do business? I rescued you as an oppressed people. I did for you what you couldn't do. That could work. Anybody else? Anybody else, Jason? Because when we forget that all we have is grace, we, we start thinking that what we have, we own. And when Yahweh says, remember, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, Yahweh is reminding them they live and are sustained by grace. By the goodness and the provision of God. If I provided for you then, I'll provide for you now. Don't be crooked. 
this matters. So like as you read through, you'll find that, that it was a different society, right? But the heart of Yahweh is there. What's the heart? What's the heart of these texts? Love your neighbor. What? As you love yourself. Or as Jesus said, treat others as you would what? Want to be treated. That's the heart of it. But it's not all of it. Keeps going. So back in the day, they, 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 they didn't have paychecks. They did it in practice as a business. They did daily wages. So listen to what Yahweh commanded in Deuteronomy 24, verse 15. Deuteronomy 24, verse 15. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart on it, so that he will not cry against you to the Lord, and it becomes sin to you. So even back then, when you hired people in, you paid them daily wages. You didn't say, hey, you're going to get paid the 1st and 15th of every month. So by the way, for all of you who have Christian employers, I think you should go to them. Like, they might be like, look, man, we're both, we both follow Jesus. I need daily wages. Um, <laughs> daily wages. <laughs> for those of you who are employers, you're like, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not how it works. The point was, don't keep, don't keep from someone what they what? Earned. Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but delights in an accurate weight. I like the way the message says it. God hates cheating in the marketplace. He loves it when business is above board. I mean, you don't even have to look further than, than, than the Isaiah 58 text where it talks about how Yahweh has a problem with them crying out to him because they're cheating at each other on wages. Right? You see that in the text we've been confessing all month. All right, so what are you learning from this? This is the participation part. We did this in first gathering. What are you learning? Because I want to wrap this up. It's great. I feel very encouraged by the things that you're wrestling with. Remember all his grace. And it's an obvious thing, but not so obvious to practice, isn't it? What else? Integrity matters above all things. I have told Ian all his life that you can lose almost everything you own, but you choose to give your integrity away every time. You can be put in a position to make the worst decisions humanly possible and even make them, but you are the one who chooses to give your integrity away. That's important. In 3E's work, it's part of our work with our neighbors. As we say, you can lose almost everything you own, but you give your integrity away every time. Yahweh matters about, it matters about integrity because Yahweh's concerned with the means. He's concerned with how this way of life forms us. So we don't have to do it out of guilt and obligation. We do it out of a desire of realizing that this is all grace and in doing this, God's going to do something in me and in you. And that is how we take care of each other. Anything else you're picking up? Yes, among the nations. The economy among God's people is different than the economy of the nations, which is why we have to be taught this because we don't oftentimes have the imagination for it. Do you imagine how weird this sounded for Israel to hear? What economy had they known for 400 years? The slave labor economy. So what do you think they would have naturally done? Found them some what? Yeah, to do their work. Cheap labor. We have to have a different imagination to see that Yahweh is trying to establish a different economy within Yahweh's people. We have to participate of the economy of the nations. But we don't have to do it the way the nations do it. We don't have to buy, sell, transact, and pay the way Babylon's economy does. We don't. We may live in lesser houses, drive lesser cars, Wear lesser clothes, which is why Wesley would say, earn all you can. What else? Save all you can. What else? Give all you can. Ultimately, what Wesley is calling God's people to in his sermon is a simplified lifestyle. Where we could write as Paul, I've learned in any state I'm in to be content because godliness with contentment is great, great gain. In the words of the great philosopher, the notorious B.I.G. Mo money, mo problems. That's right. That's right. Some of y'all going to look him up later. Then you're going to wonder, did I hear that in church? 
but there's, tr- <laughs> there's truth to that. There's truth to that. Yahweh's calling us to a bigger imagination because when we don't have a big enough imagination, we go the way of the nations. I want to read these last few verses for you. Amos 5, verse 11 through 12. This is what the prophet said. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and tax their grain, which, by the way, Yahweh has something to say to housing policies. Yahweh has something to say to taxation policies. The Bible speaks to fundamental economic systems. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and tax their grain, though you've built houses of carved stone, you ain't going to live in them. Well, it doesn't say you ain't going to live but you won't live in them. Sorry, I won't. Y'all be like, what translation is that? You have planted pleasured vineyards, but you, don't drink, you won't drink their wine. In other words, you will get what you will, you will reap what you are sowing. Proverbs 16, 18, 8. Better a little with righteousness than great prophets without justice. This, beloved, is why it doesn't matter how much you have and how much you earn. Yahweh doesn't measure the way we measure. Yahweh's only asking, are you doing all you can? Because we know what we can do, right? We know we spend more time thinking about what we can't do than what we can do. You know what you can do. You know when you eat more than you, you know when you eat all you can. You know when you work hard as you can. You know when you do all the things. You know what, you know you're, you know what you're giving into this thing, right? Like we know. So don't worry about what Joneses have. Do we have any Joneses literally? I don't know. If we have, I think that's right. We do have Joneses. I forget. That's so funny that we actually have. Yes. So don't, don't, don't measure yourself with the Smiths. That's another phrase. Do we have any Smiths? Just making sure now. We're trying to find like. Don't measure. Don't look at what your neighbor's doing. Look at what God has entrusted you. And what did Wesley say? Earn all you can. Give, save all what? You can. And give all what? You can. And just remember to, that, that you have to keep in mind neighborly love. Proverbs 22, verse 22. Don't steal from the poor because they are poor. Don't oppress the needy in the gate. The Lord will take up their case and press the life out of those who oppress them. Mm. That's a word. Proverbs 21.6, those who gain treasure with lies are like a drifting fog leading to death. Jesus, Matthew 7, verse 12, therefore you should treat people in the same way that you want to be treated. This is the law and the Proverbs. Paul, the apostle, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for the people to be shown as how good you are. Beloved, Earn all you can. Work is good. Be innovative. Be creative. Be an entrepreneur. Workforce development programs were literally invented by the church. Because work is good. But as you do it, do it in a way that doesn't exploit workers, that doesn't oppress workers. And believe it or not, Wesley talked about this a lot because the Bible does, that tends itself to creation care too. I don't know where creation care became a left in our political ideological spectrum issue, but creation care is as old as Genesis 1, verse 26. Tend to the impact of the things you commit your life to and earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. This is pleasing to the Lord. Remember what he said to Timothy. Paul said to Timothy at the very end of the first letter in Timothy chapter 6, command the rich to be rich in good works and to be generous so that in doing so, they will take hold of a life that is really life. Because as the Proverbs said, we have to learn to show restraint. Do not wear yourself out to get rich, Proverbs 23, 4-5 says. Have the wisdom to show restraint. The reason we have to talk about this is to discern what it means to be wise trustees of all that God has given us in 2023 United States of America in Williamsburg, Virginia, who have come together as a church we call Williamsburg Christian Church to be a family of God together. So we have to have this conversation. All right, any thoughts from y'all? Critique, pushbacks, anything before we move to the table? Questions that Jason can answer. No? Y'all are like, let's just get to the table.
We're done with you, Fred. Did God give us all he can? Yeah. God gave us all God could. Yeah. That you need us to give to you? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Any other questions? I'm here for it. I'm great at questions. Bren, you know that we talk a lot about, like, I don't, I don't concern myself with any notion of balance because sometimes we have to be out of balance. Sometimes God literally calls us to out of balance, right? He said, be hot or cold, don't be lukewarm. What I prefer the language of is tension. So I would say we give until we feel it. And we really feel it. I mean, that's what, what kind of guards us, is we give until we feel it, until it starts making us question whether or not God will actually provide. Does that make sense to you? And that's a measure that everybody has to determine. For some people, that'll be $10 a month. For some people, it'll be $10,000 a month. But at the end of the day, I think Christians are called to give to a degree to where we feel the giving that we're giving, that it makes us lean into the providence of God, that it keeps us from the grasping and gripping. I would say that grasping and gripping is a sign that we're not giving. No, I mean, and I mean that in every way. I mean time too. I mean in everything. Time especially. Because time's about priorities, isn't it? Time's about what we've chosen to invest our lives to. Time is always something that we measure by what we hope time accomplishes in our lives. Right? We want to make stories with time. So time is about the stories we're trying to create in the lives of our families, in the lives of those we love. So the question isn't so much what I do with time. The question is what kind of story am I writing with my life? What kind of experiences am I creating for my children? What am I showing my children and my grandchildren and my neighbors that I'm trying to do with my life and what life is about because that's where I spend my time. And that requires, I think, living intention and trusting God to provide the time I don't have. Trusting God to do the things I don't want to do. You know what, what, what economic holiday concerned itself with time in the, Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew life? Sabbath. Sabbath day, Sabbath year. Because Yahweh knew that time, we become enslaved to time. And so if we had to live into a place where we had to entrust our time and everything that happened in it for Yahweh, for real, for real, where I could not work my field as I sit there and watch it grow crazy for 362 days out of a 365-day year. That required I trust Yahweh. The earn all I can, save all I can, give all I can is about submitting all that I am to the tensions that living in the kingdom of God in the midst of the nations creates. That's why I don't have an answer because I think every family has to answer that for themselves. Sorry I wasn't helpful, but that is why I'm here, to not be helpful and look like I am. Yeah. Can I answer that a little bit? Give it. In my opinion, in my, I give, I give to the families that I, the children that I teach, especially me, I give to them, I give to the families, I give to my own family, to my children and my parents, God will let me know when we're done. When, when Because Yahweh ultimately doesn't want, and, and Bryn, I'll segue real quick. One of the things Wesley taught was it is just as wrong in the earning all you can to hurt yourself as it is to hurt your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love what? We have to love ourselves. So if we are working ourselves into a grave prematurely, even with time, right, and how we invest time, that's not going to honor Yahweh. But to your point, Debbie, Yahweh, God, will bring people around you if we listen, won't he? To say, hey, what can we do? Or to say, hey, I haven't seen you in forever. Or to say, hey, you seem unwell a lot lately. And I think those are the tensions that God creates. Because one of the things Dave Anderson wrote down as a note that I thought was profound and, and, and obvious at the same time that really piggybacks the question and, and your comment, Dave, is we don't live in a culture where we like people being in our business. 
But Christian community requires a certain kind of transparency into one another's business, right? Love one another for guard, protect, believe. Like that's all one another command stuff. So in a society that says this is mine and this is my business, you don't get to tell me what I do with my time, the cross says, well, but I get to hold you accountable to the confession that we said we both live. I get to do that because that's, that's kinship. That's the household of God. And that matters. And that in and of itself creates a different layer of tension. But I think we have to look at it within our own lives and ask ourselves, what story are we living into? For those of us with kids, if we're living into a story that organizes our entire life around making sure that our kids get into Harvard but they miss heaven, we miss the point. If we organize our lives around this idea that my life is all about my own nuclear family, me and Allison and Ian and like it's only about us and it doesn't include you, then I'm also missing out on what Ian needs in his life as a follower of Jesus when I am with the Lord. Does that make sense? Those are the tensions that have to be created. I need some me time. Probably you do. You also need some we time. And those things do not have to be mutually exclusive. Just like you need to pay your own bills. But I have a responsibility to make sure that they can pay theirs too. That's Christianity. Am I wrong? That's how this works. There is a common life. The Greek word for that is koinonia. It means common life. It's a shared partnership with God and one another. So you see this in the book of Acts where they said nothing they held was considered their what? Their own. But they held all things in what? Common. That thing included time. That did include time. That's why they met daily in the temple. We struggle to get here an hour and a half a week. That's the tensions. And it lands here. What did God give? All. So that we could have what? Same word. All. <laughs> Lots of things that could be. Jesus. Always a safe bet. Because what did Peter say? God has given you what? Everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.